0: With the inception and traction that blockchain and crypto has gathered, the world is possibly on the verge of the largest evolution since the mainstream of the internet. Given the fluidity and dynamic nature of this technology, business leaders, enthusiasts, and veterans all need to band together to navigate the current and upcoming storms participants in Web 3.0 want a trusted resource that gives them pertinent information about projects, tokens, technology, and businesses. We are business people talking the business of crypto. We are Y Whales.
1: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, Y Whales. My name is Steve Alvaro, Managing Director of Y Whale Solutions, and we've got an awesome episode for you guys tonight. I'm joined by two of the co-founders of Bankless Consulting, Ryan Anderson and Desai. Hey guys, how are you guys?
2: Good, thanks for having us.
1: Oh, this is gonna be a fun conversation. You know, as as a fellow management consultant, I just love any opportunity I can to engage my peers, especially when those peers are focused in our industry that is Web3. Guys, I'm pretty envious of you. You know, when someone searches Web3 Consulting, you guys are the first ones to pop up. You know, I've tried so much SEO, and we can't even do that. And so, you know, my my goal for Why Whale Solutions is when we grow up, we want to be like you guys. And that's a testament to your guys' success. You know, as a spinoff of, or not really a spinoff. And maybe you can guys tell me a little bit more about your operating model. But you are built off of the Bankless DAO um, machine.
3: Yeah, Ryan's the branding guy, so I'll let you take that one, buddy. <laughs>
2: Yeah, we we all met in uh, in Bankless DAO. Um, it was kind of late 2021, um, and it was right at the time where a lot of projects were starting to kick off within the DAO, and you know the DAO was really trying to you know figure out what what its goal was, what it was there to do. Uh, And so when I was kind of just getting into Web3 and trying to understand what it was, you know, I, I'd always followed crypto. I'd always followed, you know, NFTs and things like that. Um, you know, my background's in marketing, so I've always tried to really keep on top of what's happening digitally. Uh, if, only if I can just, you know, sound like I know what I'm talking about when a client asks me about it. Um, so DAOs were really, for me, the thing that that made me go, oh, okay, now this really, something clicked when I found out about DAOs. So I really wanted to kind of dive into that space. And I found these guys who were talking about, you know, starting a professional services firm, a consultancy, uh, which is what I've done for a lot of my career. So I was like, okay, these are my people. So, uh, you know, I kind of went into the first meeting. uh, And it's always funny when you're like, when you're joining a DAO for the first time, it's like, you know, it's like you walk into Google and say, hey, I work here, you know, what do I do? And I just, you know, go, go, go join that well, meeting. See, that see what meeting? you like. It
1: was a virtual uh, meeting. And if it's web three, was, yeah. was everyone, you know, wearing a different avatar where cameras off, like like that, that's a whole different atmosphere compared oh, yeah. to what we're used to in traditional business well completely
2: anonymous yeah. and you know everybody's using uh you know uh, except for me I, I i walked in and used my real name like a, some kind of noob uh but yeah everybody's using an avatar and a you know pseudonym so uh but it was interesting because i you know i i joined this meeting i had no idea what to expect and people started introducing themselves and it's like hey i'm a you know a crypto lawyer uh, with an mba and i'm you know i've been doing consulting for 20 years and i you know like i was like oh these are some serious people so um yeah i'm i'm I was. I consider myself very fortunate that uh, you know they, they let me you know play with yeah, them. it. Yeah, it's kind of funny how
3: we met too. And I, I don't know if you're even aware of this, Ryan, but um, I was kind of feeling my way around the DAO, uh, Bankless DAO, and spending some time in different groups, different guilds. And I volunteered to do some work on a marketing project where uh, it was it was basically putting together a pricing package for uh, for for outside outside work, external work from the marketing. Uh, from the marketing guild and I'm not really a marketing guy I'm kind of a but I you know I, I have different talents in different areas of business so I, I edited this document I gave my my comments and my ideas and you know it looked pretty good and a couple of days later I went back to the document which was being updated asynchronously and there's all these comments from this guy Ryan Anderson and I was like Oh shit! This guy actually knows what he's talking about. He's not just hacking his way through this. Um, and the next thing I knew, we were in a meeting for uh, for for the consulting group, and I was like, oh, "I know you,
1: dude." Oh, that's awesome! And so, you know, one thing uh, our audience might not be aware of is the actual inner workings of a DAO. And Bankless DAO is, you know, publicly what I would qualify one of the most successful DAOs in terms of getting a large community of individuals. Who don't have any personal relationships, you know, and they've met completely online. And now you've rallied them together around a singular or maybe multiple causes, multiple benefits, you know, areas that they can potentially contribute. And an engine has been built around them. And so, you know, when you guys first joined Bankless DAO, how did you guys even identify that, hey, this is maybe an area that I want to dive into. Like, I love Web3 enough. I understand the capabilities enough. And I think it would be really uh, interesting to start recommending or start advising businesses on how to apply some of these capabilities into their existing models, or maybe net new models as a startup. And so how did that journey for both of you start? You know, you join Bankless DAO, and, you know, for a lot of people, their representation or the, within their minds, a DAO is just a Discord server. And so you have all of these channels you have to filter through towards. And eventually, maybe you land on, is it a bankless consulting channel? Is it uh, how, 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 did that, how did that come to be?
2: Yeah, go ahead, Lisa.
3: Well, for me, it was it's pretty similar to what Ryan had said before, that I was in a few different meetings. And the bankless, the bankless DAO is what at the time was, I think, consisted of 13 guilds. And all of them particularly related around media and Web3 in some way. Um, and but I was feeling my way around Writers Guild, Marketing Guild, um, Operations Guild. And then I started hearing buzz buzz about a consulting guild or project. Um, and I just dropped into a meeting. Uh, that's basically what it was at the time. I think there were probably 10 or 12 people there. And the group was starting to... Put together ideas. I think they they'd already written a grant and got written a grant proposal and gotten a grant from the DAO to to fund the the organization of the consulting group. Um, but there really nothing had really like been put into place yet. So it was early stages talking about the governance, talking about the the business plan and the ability to actually interact with external businesses, which a lot of the DAO like there were there were projects going on in the DAO. Much of it was to support the DAO but there were other attempts at external business so like a merch group or the marketing group was looking to market their services or advertising to the, to the outside world the challenge for a lot of them was that they didn't have the infrastructure to do business they didn't have a bank account they didn't have the fi- you know the financial setup they didn't have legal um and we Knew that, understood that that we needed to have all those things in place, and that's what we got cracking on. So from there, we kind of like you know divided up the the um, the division of labor and determined you know how each of us was going to participate in, in building the infrastructure.
1: And so you you have what thirteen people at that time and come together and you know hey this is going to be a full fledged business opportunity. Let's go stand it up as a legitimate professional services firm. Yeah. And I think that,
3: that conversation probably scared away a a bunch of them. Uh, So we, we, we were whittled down to seven or eight of us and we got to work. We got to work. I mean, we, for about three months, we were working night and day on this, on, on putting the business together. Each and every one of us really.
1: And how would you, because I imagine there's probably a lot of like that hesitation you mentioned from a lot of the degens, right? Because a lot of times right now, especially even at me, if I'm going and searching for specific Web3 expertise that I might have to potentially subcontract or even hire, you know, finding sure. the degens, finding the actual experts, you know, that I would qualify are legitimately living on chain, so to speak, right? They can tell you the inner workings of this. It's not going and searching, you know, 10 Google search results on tokenization and understanding. And now I'm going to go and say I'm a tokenization expert. But it's saying, hey, I understand on the back end what it actually takes to tokenize a potential asset, right? And a lot of these guys, you know, before DAOs and before a lot of these mechanisms were stood up, you know, they were just accepting crypto payment for, you know, professional services. You know, I will do this for X and maybe pay me five ETH. Did you, um, did you have a lot of reception amongst your membership or amongst your DAO where it's saying, hey, we're going to up-level this operation, make it a legitimate business, and now we have a formal conduit for us to potentially bid on projects, to formally acquire clients externally? Did that scare a lot of the DGENs that probably were going to be high-value contributors? Did you see that attract more, more of your community? I'm, I'm, I'm interested in that.
2: Yeah, I, th- I think it did. Uh like I know there was there, there was a moment when uh you know, we kind of started talking about like what it looks like practically. Uh and it came up that well, at some point to in order for us to pay you, you got to sign a contract uh and you got to tell us what your real name is. Um you know, because you, you got to fill out forms you like W8s and and things like that. Um and that rubbed people the wrong way like, in some cases, like, oh, this is this is web three. And like, yeah, but the IRS yeah. still exists. So <laughs> that's, uh, you know, we still have to be cognizant of that. And I think that that was like, I mean, that that was what we were doing, right? Like we had, we have lawyers that are part of bankless consulting and we have people who are, uh, you know, are accountants and CPAs and who've stood up businesses and things like that. And, you know, I think maybe some of the DGENs who were just kind of playing it fast and loose uh, you know, didn't realize how much structure is required to set up a DAO properly, legally, uh, or how to set up an on-chain business properly and legally. And you know, every day there's new challenges that we have to overcome. Um, what I think it did do on the other side of it is it allowed people who uh, were maybe not the Dgens, but they were the people who are you know professionals who had a long career in a certain area. Um, and and had a really deep interest in that in 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 how Web three is going to transform that so marketing and uh, you know economists things like that getting into tokenomics and and, and that sort of thing uh, it gave them a way that they could contribute in a way where they were working towards something they were getting paid for it, they were working with real clients uh, and it was in a way that you know was we were making sure that that everything that we were doing was legal and and you know above board
3: yeah. It is a double-edged sword, though, and you know we, we kind of struggle with this challenge to this date. Where um, we we are native Web three, you know everybody is a member of the the Bankless DAO, and we're we we live in in Web three. Um, but at the same time, we're also professionals and we're legit. So we have a bank account, we pay taxes, and we're doing things you know above board. Um, y- we, we, and I, I think some of the people who contribute, some of the contributors struggle with that a little bit. And, you know, as, as Ryan said, there are people who are less comfortable with having to dox, even, even privately dox, you know, and, and give up their social security number for taxes and things like that, because that's not what they want to do. Um, but at the same time, you, you know, we, we insist on doing everything legally, ethically, and above board.
1: Yeah, and, and you guys are hitting an awesome theme that I want to kind of double-click into here. And, and Ryan, you had mentioned you yeah. know, one of the hardest things was legally standing up this, right? And yeah. I think there's still a lot of confusion. You know, you can go and research, you know, what are DAOs? You can go and research, you know, Google, how do I stand up the DAO? How do I deploy a DAO? What is the appropriate governance structure? What is the appropriate incentivization structure? Blah, 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 blah. But In reality, we've not really seen major traction on DAOs outside of the Web3 natives. There's not many examples Mm -hmm. of, you know, major brands or, you know, arguably where a lot of the attention and a lot of the capabilities of a DAO could potentially amplify existing models and existing structures. Those individuals or those organizations have not caught yet onto a DAO. And so I'd be interested from your guys' perspectives on why do you think that is? Well, what about DAOs is still a substantial barrier of entry to accept it as a legitimate operating model, so to speak?
2: I think a lot of it has to do with uncertainty. Um... You know how how do you stand up a DAO? Like you know, there's the Wyoming DAO structure. There's there's a few different DAO structures that have been kind of tossed out and uh, and and played with at various state levels and things like that. You know, to create legal entities around DAOs. Um, but you know, I think the consensus in that world is that they're not really you know they're not they're not really beneficial. So um, you know, for us, we're uh, we're a C corp. Um, and you know the, the DAO structure is kind of minimal. We we operate really as a, as a corporation and, and all of the things that go along with that. Now we can do that because we're s- smaller than the average DAO. If you have a DAO of you know 10, 15,000 people, it becomes a lot harder to you know who, who are officers, who are directors, all of those kind of legal obligations that come along with it. So that becomes difficult. And there's also a tension between you know, the legal responsibilities of any kind of legal entity and just the ethos of, of DAOs, like, you know, if there's a board of directors, well, that's centralization. And if there are, you know, people who are, you know, if, if there are shareholders, like then should everybody be a shareholder? But then, you know, that raises questions about, um, you know, what the legal status of what you're you're trading is. So, you know, I, I think it is very difficult for any business right now to go headlong into a DAO because there is so much uncertainty around it and like you know try to get legal and accounting advice uh, about DAOs and you know it's 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 just stumps everybody unless they're really into it. So we're very lucky that we have a lot of people who are web3 native but also have that legal or accounting background so they can bring those two things together. But, you know, we, even with our accounting firm that we work with, we have to educate them on a regular basis about, okay, so, well, we got paid an ETH for this one. So what's our cost basis? And, you know, there, it's just, it is very difficult. It's like starting a business on hard mode effectively oh, yeah. God, uh, from God a lot of perspective, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: It's, it's, uh, It's interesting because when you think of what a lot of what I would say Web3 maxis evangelize about DAOs, Mm -hmm. it's counterintuitive to most organizational hierarchies and structures that exist today, you know. I'll go out and women whim and say 99% of businesses are built on a centralized organizational hierarchy. There's a board of directors, there's a CEO, COO, there's various levels of the C-suite, you know, directors and officers, blah, 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 right? There's a very, very hierarchical um, setup there. DAOs, at their core concept, or fundamentally, disrupt that model, right? And so... You know, to your mm-hmm. point, one of the biggest barriers of entry and, and, and maybe out loud here thinking out loud is, you know, centralized organizations trying to adopt a pure decentralized structure is almost counterintuitive to maximize the efficiency of that business because that business natively does not operate decentralized from the beginning, right? And so where do you see the pros and cons of a DAO? Potentially being adopted by actual organizations, you know, Fortune 500s, for for example, or Fortune 2,000, mm-hmm. or even a mid-market company that has the nimble nimbleness and the flexibility to go and hey, I, I want to test around with this concept and play around with this concept with maybe one of my BUs or one of my verticals or one of my you know, subsidiaries. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. wh- 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 how how would you guys approach that type of discussion with them as a prospective client?
3: Per se, I'll try that one. I'll try that one out. Um, I, I think the, the big answer to that, uh, the one word answer to that is community. So the strength of a DAO really is in community in that it gives the opportunity for um, contributors or employees to intermingle with uh, clients or customers. So you could have a DAO where the... Um, and, and by the way, I, I'm... I, I'm not a I, I'm not a, um, a a traditionalist or or a purist when it comes to DAOs. I'm a firm believer that there needs to be uh, leadership, centralized leadership in a DAO decision make uh, not necessarily all the decisions, but leadership and guidance from from a centralized. Uh, Place. But the the strength of a DAO really comes from the community building, wh- where there's interaction, involvement, engagement from the community, including contributors, including um, customers who can be contributors as well. So that's I, I think that that will that will play out in many ways. And you know, we see that in some NFT communities. We see it starting to happen in brand loyalty. I mean, that's really going to be, brand loyalty projects will likely evolve into DAOs or have some sort of DAO-based structure in a lot of ways where there's opportunities for, essentially for customers to become, to, to, to have a voice in the direction of a company.
1: Wow, that's I love that concept, right? Because let's say you as a customer, especially as we know Gen Z and the younger generations are placing a much more, a higher emphasis on brands that they are actually loyal to. Brand loyalty is one of right. the, the largest signals now for uh, potential customer acquisition for a brand, right? It's, it's, it's becoming sure. a measurable metric, so to speak. And um, it only seems appropriate that brands that have substantial omni-channel social media followings, have uh, I would almost say kind of an easy button for community activation right if you're a brand that has 10 okay. 15 20 million followers across different social media channels you've got a cohort of individuals that are loyal to your brand because they like the product they like uh, your mission values and, and what what have you, right? They like your positioning and all that. And they're most likely also your biggest evangelists and your biggest ambassadors. And so why not go and acquire them as potential inputs into the business or potential, uh, you know, what I would say proxy marketing ambassadors on behalf of the brand. And, and I think that's a, just that core concept alone, I think a lot of marketing departments of major organizations have not really realized the potential in that because it's such a exactly. social media metric dominated industry, right? Is this getting five hundred views yeah. or ten thousand likes? Right. right. And that's that's the measure of success. It's it's mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, I think no no go sorry.
2: ahead. I, I think community has been kind of the holy grail for marketing since since web two. Uh, and you know I, w- what I've seen of the marketing world in the last decade is a move kind of away from creativity and and uh, you know uh, you know messaging and really like understanding people at a, at a fundamental level towards just pleasing the algorithm. Like it okay. happens slowly, but that's really where marketing went in the last ten years. And what I think is really interesting about Web three and DAOs, just kind of in general, is that it it takes it kind of decentralizes community to a certain extent. Um, meaning, you don't need to go through Facebook, you don't need to go through Instagram, you don't need to go through Twitter. It gives you a way to create a group of people that you can connect with and give them, you know, things through either airdrops or mint opportunities or token-gated commerce or, uh, you know, access to discords, things like that, it gives the ability to do that without, you know, Facebook coming in and saying, well, actually, we're going to ramp up the difficulty now, unless you pay us, uh, which is really what happened over the last 10 years. I think, you know, back when I was sort of, uh, you know, the, the first wave of my career was like, uh, you know, social media is the future now it's kind of like web 3 is the future um, that's like I saw a lot of the uh, the sort of uh, you know the optimism around that and and brands really trying to to you know take these new spaces that have been created to genuinely kind of interact with their customers and it was the fact that the social media companies really just turned it into a kind of an extractive process and in this position they can't. Uh, Because now companies, in the same way that we can own our own digital assets in Web three, companies can own their own access to their community, which I think is a really interesting uh, uh, factor for them. That's
1: I man. I'm glad you mentioned that. You know, one of the Whenever I engage a prospective client and they're always asking, you know, I need to improve my customer acquisition strategy, you know, let's say from a Web2 perspective, right? They're thinking customer acquisition, customer, how do I lower my customer acquisition costs? How do I maximize my retention? How do I uh, upsell? How do I penetrate new markets, cross sell, blah, 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 blah. And I just wish, especially for a lot of traditional brands, I could just come in and say the X factor for your brand in the next five years for any brand is going to be the ones that double down on a full-fledged community strategy and brand build-out. You could potentially negate customer acquisition cost with a fully robust community strategy and execution of that community because now you've cultivated and harvested your brand loyalists within your own walled garden, so to speak. And that's the luxury, right? To your point of the social media channels, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, those are not within a brand's walled garden. Those are third party mediums that these brands are reliant on, right? But now you've brought, let's say for example, and and this will be fun. Let's go through a a potential scenario. You know, I'll just use fantasy baseball because it's, uh, it's the the flavor (laughs) of the week for me in my mind, but you know, Fancy baseball, let's say that there is a sub-community of individuals that are really into fantasy baseball, and I am a, let's say, ESPN, and I want to really expand my fantasy baseball product, it would make sense for ESPN potentially to go to maybe all of the subreddits, all of the different channels, the Twitches, what have you, of baseball fans, get them into a ESPN community, so to speak, of other like-minded fantasy baseball individuals, and now you've just... Immediately put fifteen thousand people of potential customers of your product in one channel, and you can become the selling mechanism mm-hmm. for that, right? And I don't think a lot of brands have recognized that, or, or or it's even on their radars. And so, what do you guys think needs to change for community building to be taken more seriously by you know the the, the next wave of companies that are looking into Web
2: three? I think that that brands have to sort of reevaluate their 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 role at the party uh, you know to to so to speak. Um, you know, I think that when Web two kind of started, it was a lot of brands kind of went into it in like they they're used to being the center of attention. They were broadcasters, they were the ones. They were the celebrities, and they expected to be kind of treated that way when they when they welcomed people into a party. You know, the the party was for them; it wasn't for the for the people. Um, I think they have to move away from that kind of view. Like they are, they're they you know servant leaders, kind of uh, to a certain extent of their their brand community. Um, you know, in the same way that I think that DAOs are going to force companies to rethink what management is fundamentally, uh, you know, what the nature of work and and how we communicate and how we, uh, you know, uh, collaborate on things. Uh, I think that in the same way, it's going to cause brands and corporations to rethink what their relationship is with their, their customers. Yeah. Yeah. I I think there are, as as, using your example, Siva,
3: I think there's a huge opportunity for exactly that where communities don't have to be brand based they can be interest based right okay. so if you have a community of um, people who are interested in fantasy baseball they are, they're already there as, as using Ryan's analogy they're they're having the party and who do they want to invite do they want to invite ESPN do they want to invite Gatorade do they want to invite you know whoever else to to come in and you know they they're they're a collection of 15,000 people who are a very focused audience, very attentive audience on whatever that 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 product might be or whatever that education might be. Um I it's kind of it's kind of turning the tables on on commerce in a way.
1: And there's also a generational shift, right? And let's think about that, right? Like if you want to say, you know, CMO most CMOs tend to be older, you know, unless if they're much more retail-focused. Uh, Present company, company
3: or, excluded, of course. Yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, or or <laughs> you know, if they're if they're D2C-oriented, they tend to be younger. But but most CMOs or most organizations tend to skew on the older side. And community engagement and community building um, is a generational shift. It is our generation, yeah, the yeah. older millennials that are driving that, right? And Gen Z, that's where they're starting to live, right? Sure. And And... You know, I, I had one executive, I was doing a, a speaking engagement down in Texas, you know, of, of 50 executives that don't understand anything Web3. And I was just educating them. And, you know, one of them came out, and you know, he was in, a gentleman who was in his mid-60s, and he's like, I don't understand communities. Can you talk to me about the success of a community? I'm like, well, I don't want to be offensive, but... You're not the target, you could be a, a potential target, but you're not the initial target of building a base community around. You would be a contributor to a community or a potential facilitator of a community. But the participant in the community, there's tremendous amount of successes today that are not deployed by businesses. Subreddits are a great example of individual microcosms of communities, but Facebook groups, where potentially his guys are are not living, right, on Facebook, but Facebook groups are one of the best examples of intimate communities that eventually grow over time, and, you know, some Facebook groups monetize, right? They start bringing in sponsors, they start bringing in preferred vendors, and what have you, right? They might even charge membership fees. I'm, I'm in a Facebook group where I pay a membership fee, if you can believe it or not. But, right, that, that, that's just the Discord model, right? But just on a different platform.
3: Sure. Siva, how do you see that potentially shifting uh, for,
1: towards DAOs? Yeah, well, I think I think a community is the underlying infrastructural mechanism that a DAO has to be built upon, mm-hmm. right? Sure. A, uh, a DAO is, and to your guys' earlier point, a DAO is only as successful as its community. And if you have a really well-thought, built-out community, DAOs that are constructed, uh, fulfilling the visions of the community and executing upon the values of a community in a governance structure that is appealing to the community and approved by the community, I think are going to be the examples of this DAO community. Uh, operating model, and I'll call it an operating model because that's what it is, right? It's a biz- It's it can evolve into a business operating model. Uh, Why whales is a is a small uh, testament to the success of a pseudo DAO. We're not a DAO. We we aren't formally incorporated as a DAO. Similar to your your guys yourselves, we we are a C corp. Uh, but our community members are are the shareholders, right? Our board is the shareholders. Um, the entire the Y Wheels community um, owns Y Wales Enterprises, and then our sub verticals, right? And, that, and that's that's the purview we took because our, our yeah. community is older in nature. Uh, we we are not we, we are not a Web three community of thirty and forty year olds. We're a Web three community of forty and fifty year olds, right? And so a corporate structure is the familiar, right? But then a corporate structure intertwined with a community that uh, that that is the spine of the corporation is our or our way of executing on a hybrid model, so to speak. To your uh, and and so to your to your point and to your question to me, I think organizations that take a small use case, small sliver of a potential community or a potential business unit or vertical or area of business, and start modeling a hybrid model. Where they implement a traditional corporate structure Mm -hmm. governance that the community is fully behind and build and and, and lay that on top of a a sub community so to speak is a great way for brands to start experimenting with this right uh let's say for example uh i am a, a a retail focused uh kombucha drink right and i know that my primary demographic are the gut health conscious individuals well i can be a kombucha provider you know, let's say gut friendly, um, and I go and create a community and it doesn't have to be a sponsored community by my brand. I go and build that community of like-minded gut health people that want to share their experiences around (coughs) gut symptoms and how do we enable and better each other. But since I built that community, I've now created my own sales direct channel of potential customers, 500 people, a thousand people, 2000 people, what have you, and as that community continues to grow, and I nurture it, and it starts to to broaden, I can then start amplifying that community via the DAO by selling and, and marketing and capitalizing on monetization opportunities. Maybe, you know, the top uh, contributors to the DAO uh, earn discounts on products, or maybe the top contributors to the DAO actually have inputs into the packaging. And, and, you know, we can go, and I don't want to turn this into a strategy session now, and am starting to dominate the session, but that's kind of the way I would approach that, especially with a prospective client. Let's always prove out what they valid, a feasible yes. POC first. Uh, I, I, I mean, you guys yeah, have probably been approached very similar. How do you construct a DAO? How do we build communities? And it'd be interesting to hear, exactly. hear from your guys' experiences how you've done this
2: with some clients. Yeah, so I think there's, um, you know, we've set up a couple of DAOs for uh, for some of our clients. One was uh, a charity um, that worked with, you know, a lot like yours, with, with entrepreneurs uh, kind of around the world. And one of the challenges they had is that they had a lot of uh, grant recipients that were in developing areas of the world where literally uh, the way that they would get them their grant was, you know, by sending like, gift cards and things like that through the mail because there's no other way to get it to them. Um, so they wanted to set up a DAO around this sort of, uh, you know, proposal for, for giving model for entrepreneurs to, to have a little startup capital. Uh, and, you know, I think the biggest challenge for them was we were able to get it set up and they had a very successful few rounds of doing it. But uh, you know, when it came time to hand it off uh, there was sort of a realization from their end that, oh, this is not just something that runs itself. Like DAOs uh, require a lot of not only just setup, up, uh, but, you know, prolonged effort to to keep things moving. You know, community is, uh, you know, something that requires constant energy. You can you can great, create a community of 15,000 people. You know, there's um, stories at the beginning of, you know, when we were still in the bear market or in the bull market uh, of, you know, 10,000 people joining a discord from one tweet but if you don't know what to do with those people you don't know how to keep them motivated and on the same page and interested and participating uh, and incentivized then it starts to get quiet and it starts to fall off and the people that you know are contributing feel like okay well we've been rugged by this whole thing so um, I, I think the, the the key thing is that brands who want to get into the space, Need to understand that it's a marathon, not a sprint. Like they have to keep putting in the effort, uh, and if you just, you know, if you go hard for, you know, for the first uh, thousand meters, you're you're just going to be gagging by the end of it. So. <laughs>
1: That's important, right? Because it's not as simple as saying, "Hey, I'm Louis Vuitton. I'm going to go spin up a Louis Vuitton community and expect I can get 10,000 people to mm-hmm. just join, and it's going to be a self-operational community, right?" There is very much an intentional engagement yeah. strategy that occurs. You know, that's that's a full-time job or or jobs plural, right? How do you how do you make ensure that the uh, the members of that community are not always seen as an end product to be sold to right but their insights and their contributions are valued mm-hmm. enough that they are willing to devote you know time and their thoughts into this community uh, for some sort of hopefully and output of value to themselves right and- sure
3: yeah and uh, e- entropy is a powerful force. So that's why every DAO needs not only a, a great plan going in, strategy for that, but a long-term sustainable strategy and strong management, just like any other organization, um, with plans to engage people and to organize them and to keep keep the ball rolling in the right direction. Uh, I've definitely mm-hmm. seen not necessarily DAO communities, but NFT-type communities that have just lost their way um and it becomes you know a a a nightly shouting match on a discord um and you know I I was I was I participated in one early on in my uh my uh, web3 experience and I was like this is not what this should be about I need to get out of here and did exactly that but I learned a lot from it um, and the reality is, like I said, long-term sustainable uh, strategy and, and management is super important in this space. Mm-hmm.
2: Well it was really easy when the number kept going up. Yeah. Um, it was really easy to keep people engaged. So you could kind of do the bare minimum and as, long as as long as people were getting rich, like everybody was happy, Um, You know, I think one that has done a really good job of navigating the market as it went, and not just relying on like, oh, well, bear market, what are you going to do, is uh, Truth, which they had the Illuminati NFT, they are also behind Goblin Town, and they've got a few other things, and They've, they're really interesting because they started with one thing. They built a lot of lore around it. They got people really interested. Then they dropped this free mint of Goblin Town that everybody was talking about. You know, it was Twitter Spaces with people talking in goblin voices. You know, about uh, you know pissing on the floor and things Wild like that. And, web uh, <laughs> and it was completely different than anything else that was out there. Yeah. So uh, and. The fact that they kept adapting as it went, they kept expanding, and they kept rewarding the people who were early. That we were rewarding the people who were more heavily invested, uh, and you know, really communicating with them and talking to them. I think is a, a, a testament to their ability to run a community. There's not many that that I think reached that level of community, and,
1: and, and there's there's a huge focus right now that community and DAO building is uh, is is got. I mean, rightfully so. That's where the traction is, or that's initially where people think the traction is. But as a B two C mechanism, when really it's a very powerful B two B mechanism, right? Think of how many organizations. Especially within the construction industry or manufacturer, anything that has to deal with multi-level, you know, either vertical integration or supply chain when you're dealing with so many different parties, that is an opportunity to bring a community around your brand, right? Let's say I am a a, a custom home builder and I know I have to integrate or interact with 15 different vendors. My door glass manufacturer, my siding man, blah, 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 right? And as a project, we create a, a sub-channel within my community and now every project has engagement, real-time, 24-7 engagement with my vendors. So there's no, you know, I immediately eliminate, you know, uh, logistical nightmares because I'm communicating live with them. Maybe I'm doing direct fulfillment because we're actually jumping on calls together right away and just even streamlining, you mm. um, mechanisms of communication within a business model is enough of a value to go and dive into, you know, maybe building out and pressure testing what a, a community could look like for some, for a business as, as small as something like a custom home builder. Right. Um, mm. and, 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 and that's, what's frustrating to me, you know, to be transparent is that people can test this and they can test it very quickly um, sure. And they can really prove out the feasibility, you know, within the first couple of months, this is something that's actually going to be beneficial to my company. But we just haven't gotten to that point in the conversation yeah. where brands are even thinking about this, right?
2: Yeah, and, and I mean, that example specifically, like, brings to mind the, you know, the idea that it's, it's not like community is a new concept. So we, we've been doing this for a long time. Uh, if you think about like, that's what a lot of these sort of like lodges and, you know, Masonic temples and things like that. That's what a lot of that was for people to, to come together as a community sure. and, and share those kinds of uh, resources and share opportunities. And, you know, if you were, uh, you know, a, a window maker and you had somebody who was a contractor and they were, you know, one in your whatever kind of lodge or or whatever you had, you would go to them over somebody else and you would kind of, you know, create that community in and of itself. And it wasn't moderated by brands, but the, the idea has always been there to kind of build this thing together.
3: That's interesting. Cause I, I think one of the, one of the most important things that that all brings together is trust, uh, which I think is a whole topic in this space. Um, where I mean, so much of, of what is going on in Web three is it, it is is about trust or lack of tr- like who can you trust, right? So I think that's one of the challenges that that we all as a as as a as a industry need to address. Um, you, you know, it's important that being in being in like minded communities um, where there is sort of a, a similar values it creates. Spaces where you can trust people, um, as opposed to other other uh, investments or projects that are going on in this space. Where I think that's that's a lot of people's perception of what Web three is. When the reality is, it's really building towards these trusted communities, and that's that's more of the promise of Web three, as opposed to the speculation and and ability to you know make millions just by. By buying a token,
1: hey, twenty twenty three. Don't trust those guys. Twenty twenty three online relationship building has been proven to be, you know, the next kind of way of social sure. engagement. Right? It's no longer taboo, and we're starting to see it with business. Right? Entire businesses built with people that yep. have never met each other. Right? And so that's crazy to think mm-hmm. about. So we've talked, we've talked mouse, we talked now, we talked communities. What other stuff are you guys working on? What's, what's what's uh, you know, top of mind here in terms of some interesting work um, that have come across your guys' desk here within the past four months?
2: Go for it, Ari. Uh, probably one of the more interesting ones uh, that we worked on was a, uh, it was a television show uh, that wanted to kind of build in Web3 directly into Uh, you know, their distribution strategy, uh, but all the way down to being able to, like, fact check and research and, you know, punch up scripts and things like that. They wanted to be really, you know, it was led by, you know, an actual, you know, Hollywood writer, um, but they wanted to bring in a community of people that not only could just contribute like one-off things, but maybe where, uh, you know, you could raise somebody up from the community to be part of the writer's room, uh, things like that, and give people an opportunity that they wouldn't necessarily get, uh, you know, without moving to LA and, you know, getting a rich guy's coffee for five years. Um, so I think that was a really interesting one. It was also very interesting from a point of view of uh, it was connected to someone, you know, people all all around the world, like a big part of the team was in Ukraine. Uh, and, you know that was a really interesting experience because you know we we were talking to them in the middle of you know something terrible happening in their in their country so um it was it was interesting to see that 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 perspective and them kind of persevering through it uh you know trying to make art out of out of what was happening there so um i think you know from my perspective i think it was just you know it's it's an opportunity that i wouldn't necessarily get uh you know just you know, working for an agency or something like that um, where you get that, that real kind of global uh, exposure to, to, uh, you know, just people all over the world.
3: Yeah. And we, we have, we have projects that are um, uh, completely web three based, some that are with traditional companies that are, that are dipping their toes into, into the space. Um, my biggest project to date has been one uh, where a, a doctor wrote a protocol um, and we helped him through a lot of a lot of that, the, the architecture of it and the, the tokenomics and governance behind it. The protocol is essentially a uh, tokenizing knowledge. And originally, he came he came to this idea of like um, the fact that there was so much false information floating around about COVID. And vaccinations and things like that. And he he wanted a solution for that. So, this protocol will allow um, consensus essentially to uh, community consensus from uh, uh, credentialed individuals to determine truth, Um, which interesting, which there are so many applications for this. Uh, You know, we've talked about it in terms of journalism and medicine. Um, politics, uh, y- you name it. There's the the, the possibilities are, are endless. And people, uh, one of the cool things about the ecosystem is you. Uh, it, it's really about participation and you know positive contribution in terms of a, of course, like being an expert and you know being able to uh, contribute uh, fact, factual information, but also contributors who contribute valuable questions as well. So, for instance, um, I was playing basketball on Saturday. I twisted my knee and uh, it's all swollen now. Can someone, you know, what should I do or what's going on? Um, which, you know, it's no one's no one's diagnosing anybody on uh, remotely like that. But the, the premise would be to get information. To, to that patient to be like, you know, it's possible you sprained your knee, you should probably get an MRI. That's the gold standard for this kind of situation, see an orthopedist. Um, but that the person who actually asks the question will be rewarded as well, because that's a valuable question that other people will ask in the future. And for every person that asks that, they, they'll be rewarded. In addition, experts will be rewarded for... Uh, for, for um, slashing as well, for, you know, pointing out false information.
1: Yeah, incentivizing um, people, you know, to engage and incentivizing people to, uh, you know, uh, create content, so to speak. So you have the content creation yep. or the, the questions, yep. you have the engagement, the people providing answers, and, uh, you know, you, you have a library of knowledge being built. And yep. So yep yeah all exactly partners, yeah, that's, that's awesome. A,
3: a, exactly that. And uh, we see a lot of applications, particularly as as AI becomes more and more prevalent because of the, the fact checking and, and other possibilities that are that can happen um, you know where we're bringing actual knowledge to the to the conversation.
1: And, and that's also, I mean, AI. I mean, AI is the flavor of the choice or flavor of the year, right? Yeah, Last year's sure. Web three experts are this year's AI experts. Sure. <laughs> that's the at least that's what LinkedIn is telling me, right? But yeah. it, 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 and 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 what's frustrating for our industry is, you know, there there has been such a shift. You know, Web three has been at least on on a uh, from a, a content or marketing perspective has taken a backseat to these LLMs, right? The newest capabilities of generative AI tool sets, or, or you know, Bard or ChatGPT or what have you. But you know, I have a personal thesis. Uh, well, it's probably not personal. It's I think it's a probably hopefully a growing uh, 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 perspective that for a lot of these ai models to be largely successful it's going to be incumbent that they are built on a kind of blockchain backbone right to facilitate more efficient movement of data to validate you know a lot of the, you know functionality right now you know i think if you guys played around with chatgpt before they actually rolled it out when it was still in beta there's a lot of times that the ai was just recommended recommending wrong shit right like there, there was, sure. your fat, and, and, and to your point, still, right, still is to this day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But imagine <laughs> now, like for your your client example, you know, establishing a consensus of validated truth, right? Hitting a fifty-one percent consensus mechanism, saying that hey, fifty-one percent of people have validated that what this AI said is true. You know, that's a capability where now ChatGPT can introduce an attestation functionality to its model and saying that, hey, the AI, ChatGPT recommended, you know, this output, this outline, and it's been validated by 72% of people uh, that have gone and, and asked the same type of question. Imagine how much more valuable something mm-hmm. like that would be. That's right. And that can't be built without having a chain or, or some sort of central conduit of data that is helping to provide all those inputs into the model. Right, it can't be accomplished in web, you know, cloud infrastructure.
2: And it can't be a black box either because you you need to be able to trace where it's exactly. coming from. Exactly.
1: Yeah, and that that's the beauty where Web three comes in, and and I uh, I love that. We'll take a pause. I'm glad
2: I'm, I'm
3: I'm I'm glad you like it. Um, the founder is is uh, raise is about to start a raise. So
1: oh well, I think that might have to be an intro opportunity into ventures here. There you go. Web3 has a branding issue right now, right? I mean, right now people hear Web3 and I can immediately tell you the first thought that comes to most people's mind is complicated, convoluted, poor user experience, right? I mean, it's just it's just unthinkable when you think about what's going to be an adoption event for the industry. It's how do you promote a better user experience, right? But the way the industry is going and we just kind of hit on this, you know, eventually a lot of the capabilities similar to Web2, right? No one is leading a company right now saying, we have the best, you know, cloud infrastructure backend set up to support our company operations. We use AWS, we use, you know, AWS and Azure and, and Google Cloud are not, you know, selling value props, it's the capabilities, right? And so when we think about Web3 evolution, we're very early, right? And, and, and I think that's a big thing that people need to understand. We are still so early that people just don't really understand, you know, what we would qualify as natives. You know, basic functionality around like what is an NFT, right? And so, what does the industry need to do, and where do you see the next largest opportunities for Web3 to really evolve um, uh, its position as sort of the next frontier of emerging technology?
3: Yeah. Well, Siva, first of all, I'd like uh, I'd like to thank you for inadvertently plugging our podcast, early. That's the name of our podcast. (laughs) Um, And and it's exactly that. I mean, it's a reference to exactly that. We are early, right? And we are building the infrastructure and that's exactly what's going on. And I think a lot of people in this space have this idea. NFTs, sort of uh, the NFT craze of of two years ago, I I, I believe got in a lot of people's heads that, okay, Web3 is for everybody. This is fun. We're all going to do it. But that's not what it is. It's more infrastructure. It's more about the behind the scenes of what's happening on the internet, and it's kind of a new internet. It's more secure. It's frictionless. Um, it's decentralized, which there's a lot of value in that. And the, but the end user is not going to feel most of that. Um, most of most of the folks who are here now, we all. I am. I, I assume the three of us all have wallets, right? So we all have. Sovereign money, and you know, we all do our own banking in Web3 and things like that. Not everybody wants to do that. Not everybody should do that. And but there, there's still a lot of value for the average end user if the infrastructure is there. So there's um, uh, particularly um, uh, things like uh, monetary exchange, um, uh, security. Um, uh, Ryan, tell me out here a couple of other things, just values that that Web three brings to the average end user, without it really being in their face.
2: Yeah, I mean, just the 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 ability to trust someone you don't trust because you know code can't lie to you. Sure. Uh, if you are engaging a smart contract with uh, with somebody, if you buy an NFT or you sell an NFT on you know a reputable site, uh, it's it's always going to go through, but um, you know, I, I think a big challenge there too is around uh, how kind of obfuscated all of that is. So, if you can read a smart contract, you know exactly what's going to happen. But how many people can read Solidity code, really? Um, so, you know, when we, when we think about how we you know we all use the internet every day. When's the last time you thought of TCP/IP or uh, you know SMTP? You just log into Gmail. You you know I think the the move from Web One to Web Two was a move from protocols to you know very easy ways of interacting mm-hmm. yeah. with those protocols. Uh, and you know we kind of lost something there. And then Web Three is back to the protocol level, but now we've introduced money as a protocol. And so I think the next logical evolution of that is going to be let's forget about NFTs, let's forget right. about you know ERC seven twenty one. Uh, like we uh, we're going to be looking at it more just like the web instead of Web three. But I think what is cool about that, and you
3: you kind of mentioned you you mentioned um, you know smart contracts, the fact that so many things that we do in our in our everyday life are just like so burdened with red red tape, and if you can trust the code which you know there will be eventually there will there will be ver- there'll be certifications and and you know reputable companies that you deal with that are essentially web3 backbone or infrastructure companies for things like buying and selling a house or a car or like major interactions that will strictly be on code and you won't have to read through a thousand page contract because it's a trusted contract that's based on uh, based on code. So that's just one example.
1: Yeah, and and there would have to be some sort of bodies or councils or, hey, DAOs that attest and certify yeah, exactly. these code bases.
3: Yeah, it's very good. Very good
1: use case right? for a DAO. I like that. Right? To say, yeah. you know, because <laughs> right now if I say, hey, I want to go and deploy a cloud instance off of Google Cloud, I just have to basically trust Google and the integrity of their infrastructure and the integrity of their security but a DAO could come in as a third-party ad- tester, validator, hmm. certifier, and say that this has passed our most rigorous uh, standards and we qualify this, we certify this to be an A-plus code base, blah, 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 blah. Boom. I think we just conceptualized a pretty good use case for a DAO there. Um, good. Um, don't, don't steal my idea, but... Uh. <laughs> <laughs> right. But no, I mean, I, I love that, right? I mean... I tell, you know, some clients, I have a client right now that's talking about NFTs, um, and one of the first things I tell them is, we are not going to go to market by saying NFTs, we are not, because it's going to completely diminish the value of what you're trying to bring to market. We are going to leverage NFT technology to power these capabilities, but the end user is never going to know that they're interacting with an NFT. They're just going to view this as, hey, I go and acquire this asset. This asset allows me to access this community. And now we've just sold the whole customer experience, the customer journey. And the customer doesn't care. And even the client doesn't care how it's done, as long as it's done, right? And I think that's the reframing, at least personally, that I think has to happen within our industry. And that's, that's kind exactly. of... If you think about it from Web1, right... All the people that were stressing web one were the people that understood MS-DOS and binary and all that stuff. And so the evangelists had to be the technically minded people to gain some traction. I feel like that's where we're at right now with web three. It is the, it is the protocol builders. It is the developers. And then they tend to be the startup uh, uh, founders and and, and leaders right now in web three. They are the most technically minded people that can talk about the protocols at a level to gain some traction, but there's going to be an inflection point where it's, what is the experience that you're receiving now, right? And and, and maybe that kind of selfishly, and I want to dig into you guys a little bit here is, how do you guys kind of complete your selling motion with prospective clients? You know, if I'm a, if I'm a fortune 500 and all of a sudden I need to learn about web three and I Google web three consulting and and bankless consulting is one of the top three results. But all I hear is DGENs and, you know, I'm, I'm worried that you know I'm going to have a couple of avatars consulting for me, and I'm going to pay them. Like, like, how do I engage you guys? How do how do you guys va- uh, root me in some trust and confidence?
2: So I, it really depends on, on the, the, the organization. Most of our engagements are are pretty bespoke. You know, uh, you know, you, people come to us with a very specific problem, and you know, we give them a solution. Um, but I think especially for the traditional companies that are looking to get into Web three, uh, you know, we offer a few different things around education. We also offer uh, what we call the Web three Discovery Sprint, which is really it's a design thinking uh, kind of process that helps them understand what Web3 is and what the primitives of Web3 are and how they apply, uh, and in a lot of cases, the resources and what they need to change internally to to maximize that. So we kind of take them through uh, a four-week process where we really dig into their idea uh, and give them a really clear roadmap and playbook as to how they can implement it. Um, and, and that's been really interesting because, you know, I think on, on one end um, we've started with one idea and we've seen it kind of go down this twisting and winding road as, as the client sort of understands what is Going to be required of it to see it change into something completely different, uh, which is always really interesting. And in a lot of cases, we see, um, you know, we can see something that we that we, that we create that's uh, more than it started with. So, what I find interesting about that one is, you know, so w- w- obviously we we always uh, follow up with clients and see, uh, you know, how they how they're feeling about the the project and everything like that, and. You know, in my career, I've you know I've worked with hundreds of clients, and the ones that come out of the Web three Discovery Sprint are among the happiest I've ever uh, I've ever worked with. Like, you know, the the insights that they kind of come away with, that in some cases they come up with on their own. Like we guide them yeah. towards it. Um, it is really satisfying to see when it, when it comes from just starting at a, at a kind of basic idea and then turns into something that's real and that can be you know you know possibly you know, game changing.
1: It it sounds like, you know, you've kind of, as part of your engagement uh, dynamic is you've already rooted clients in a sense of transparency because you're investing in the education of the clients themselves to get them to speaking a common language, right? Because that's, that's, uh, you know, to be transparent here, you know, when I engage with a couple of Fortune 500s, there's a substantial amount of time that I have to devote to just educate them, to get them to the point of how they're seeing things that we are seeing things, right? Especially when you think about a topic as complicated as potentially tokenization of an asset, right? I mean, you have to, what is tokenization? What is the value? How do we do it? You know, why is it on chain? You know, how is this accomplished? Blah, 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 right? And, and you can't just expect clients especially in what I would call we're still in the Wild West we're still you know what we web 3 is still fringe it's not in the in the mainstream yet And so there isn't a tremendous amount of time that you have to devote to educate clients to eventually get them to the point where they can understand the level of uh, recommendations and outputs that you guys are suggesting to them to really tr- value the recommendations right.
2: Yeah, and I, I I mean, I think the interesting thing about Web three is you can read about it and you can hear about it and you can kind of understand it, but until you kind of walk through the door of Web three and really like participate in it, it's very hard to understand, you know, the actual reality of it. And I think that like a part of our, um, you know, part of our job is showing the client the optimistic side of Web three, like, uh, you know, the 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 ideas that we're we're you know kind of Working around a common purpose, incentivized by uh, you know our, our ownership in something, um, but also the 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 dark sides of it. You know the security, like understanding the the risks of getting into Web three, understanding what's required in terms of governance, in terms of you know the community uh, aspect of things. Um, so we try to give them as holistic a view as possible to show the the good and the bad. Um, you know. And, and I think that that's just something that's always been a part of being on the cutting edge of things. Like I remember, you know, back when I was, uh, you know, working in marketing early in my career and, you know, around 2008 we were talking about things like Twitter and, uh, and blogs and YouTube and things like that. And I remember doing a presentation for somebody and it was an older guy. Uh, and I gave him like a full idea of like how brands are going to, this is going to fundamentally change how brands interact with customers. And the thing that he ended with was why would I want to look at people, pictures of other people's lunch? And that was just like, Oh man, you know, if, if if you can't see it, I can't force you to look at it. So, you know, I think we have a lot of that same thing in this space, like, Oh, it's just pictures of, uh, you know, badly drawn monkeys. And like, yes, it is. There is a lot of stuff in Web three that is kind of stupid oh. if you look at it objectively. Ninety percent uh, of it is stupid. Yeah, but I would say. you know, it's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but there's also in that stupidity, there's a lot of really like uh, pot- huge potential yeah. for changing the way we interact. Yeah. With things. yeah, it's
1: it's it's frustrating to be honest uh, because um, our industry is overshadowed by the stupidity of a lot of the projects that come to market because they get a lot of traction and the underlying innovation is not really highlighted. Right. And that's, that's, that's where the diamond in the rough is. Right. And, and, and your, your web three discovery, uh, uh, mapping exercises sound like that's, that's what you point towards, right? It's, Hey, let's, Let's do this journey with you guys. Let us understand what you guys are trying to achieve. Let us educate how this could be feasibly done. And this is potentially how we would execute upon this. Um, and I love that approach because it it's, it's go and talk to the natives that understand that are living in the depths of crypto Twitter and, you know, the depths of the Web3, uh, you know, sub-communities or you can engage, and, and I, I have experience, so I just want to talk about this real quickly, but, you know, I just competed on an RFP where we had to cons- uh, uh, compete against the Accenture's and the Capgemini's and, you know, the Deloitte's, and <laughs> and it was a blockchain RFP, and, you know, I'm reading their proposal, this client publicized all of the RFP proposals that, that were pushed, and I read the proposals because I'm interested how these big firms are, you know, approaching Web3, especially blockchain departments. And it's very clear that these firms and, and, you know, I don't want to call out, you know, specific names or anything, but, you know, it's very clear that they've staffed, you know, a team of three to five individuals that are really good at researching very quickly and putting a lot of Web3 buzzwords and blockchain, you know, uh, concepts together and put that in within a pricing proposal and one of the proposals from one of these big firms mis mis uh, misdefined the differences between layer zeros, layer ones, and layer twos. And I just was just struck and back. And I was like, that is just such a core, fundamental concept. Mm-hmm. And that was put out as a five hundred thousand dollars proposal for a uh, for a client, right? And that's that's going to be considered. And it's, it's Web3, to your point, Ryan, it's not an industry that you can just Google and review a lot of YouTube videos. Or it's not you can go and do a, a Udemy crash course for over 48 hours and become a certified blockchain architect. It requires you to actually be playing on-chain, playing with the technology, getting in the communities and understanding it, right? Getting into the bankless DAOs, so to speak, and uh, uh, sharing sure you know, and learning and collaborating with other like-minded individuals, right? And that's where the real expertise, that's where the real innovation is, is coming from.
3: Yeah, great points. And, uh, um, you, you know, it's interesting because we, I, I think, we as an organization and, and our contributors um, often forget that and don't always realize or recognize the knowledge we have, you know, I think, I think we sometimes take it for granted, uh, just assuming that, sure, anyone in this space knows this stuff. Anyone who would want to be in this space knows this stuff, but that's where the value of something like Web3 Discovery Sprint comes in, where we need to be educators. We, we actually have significant value in... And even myself, I'm a non-technical person, but I have a good grasp, a good understanding of what's going on here, just from being here for a few years um and you know i I find myself talking to people who are sort of like just stepping into this space and i often just kind of look in the mirror i'm like wow i know a lot of shit um and (laughs) i i think we do and do take it for granted and it's really important that that we recognize that and and capital capitalize on it but but just you know feel it as a value and and Recognize that that um, there are other folks out there that can really benefit from our knowledge and our our our, our base.
1: Awesome, I love it. Well, gentlemen, I thank you for your time today. This was a a great conversation. I I, I think we talked. Thank our, you, man. It was a really engaging. We did, yeah, we we, we touched almost every major spectrum of Web three in terms of yeah. how companies are actually leveraging it. So I loved it. So if if uh, you know, we want If someone's listening here and, and they want to engage with you guys, what's the best way for them to do so?
2: Go ahead, marketing guy. The uh, best way would probably be to go to uh, banklessconsulting.com. Uh, we've got a form there that you can you can fill out to get in touch with us and we respond to, to everybody who writes to yep, us. We're also on
3: Twitter, uh, Bankless Consult, at Bankless mm-hmm. Consult. Um, and we have a newsletter, banklessconsulting.substack.com. And I host our podcast. It's called Early... It is uh, the business of Web3 from Bankless Consulting. So that's on Spotify, YouTube, you name it, wherever you find your podcast. Check it out. Awesome. Um, and at Ryan Anderson. Yes. And i at the underscore D side on Twitter.
1: And, and Y Whales is uh, an appearance on that early podcast. So we urge our listeners to check that out as well. We, we're on the That's flip- right. Dropping in a, dropping in a week. We're, we're, we're on the flip side. So it's always awesome to be uh, interviewed. Nice. Um, Ryan, D-Side, thank you guys again. Awesome conversation. Thank you, Y Whales listeners and uh, wherever you are. Uh, have a good morning, good afternoon, or
0: good night. Why Whales was founded in 2021 by Jay Steinbeck passionate entrepreneur, and business owner with the purpose of bringing YPO and YNG members together in the cryptoverse. YWales is a collaborative and confidential community centered around cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology, an exclusive crypto hub of more than 600 members. To be notified when we release new content, please subscribe to our show and your preferred listening app. For more information, visit www.ywhales.com.